0: Hello librarians, and welcome back to Literature with Blibus. I'm your host, Sybil Ekloff, and today we'll be discussing the play Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, which is largely considered to be one of the best contemporary plays ever written. Here today I have Nicolina Smith, theater expert, to give an educated opinion on this play. Mikalina, do you want to give us an introduction
1: about the play? Of course. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for Sybil for having me on this podcast. Anytime. I am such a fan. I am so honored to be here today. Um, so to start with, um, the play Arcadia by Tom Stoppard explores a myriad of thematic dec- economies. And most notably, the connection between the past and present. So the play begins in 1809 in a British country manor called Sidley Park. So we have 13-year-old Thomasina Coverley discusses mathematical algorithms with her tutor, Septimus Hodge. um, And basically, she seeks to discover an equation that explains the structure of the universe, Meanwhile, in the present, which is the 1990s when Stoppard wrote the book, I mean the play, rather, (laughs) (laughs) um, we have Hannah Jarvis, a best-selling author who is striving to identify the legendary Sidley Hermit. And Bernard Nightingale, a literary scholar, aims to prove his theory that Lord Byron, who is a famous English poet, a real person, Um, Fleds. Why he fled, Sidley Park, and Bernard thinks it's because of his involvement in a duel. So he is trying to prove his theory. And these two um, different scenes seem a little different at first. One might wonder Mm -hmm. how they are connected. But the entire play is in the structure alternating between past and present. Mm -hmm. And really, as the play continues, you see how these stories
0: intertwine. Mm -hmm. They're very interconnected and the difference between the past and the present and the ways in which all of the characters go about trying to connect to different time periods like emphasize the themes of Arcadia. Exactly Mm -hmm. and so most
1: notably one of the most important symbols in this um, play which is pretty much present from the very beginning. I don't it know is. if you noticed this, yeah. but it's the large table. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first, when I first started to read the play, um, I immediately noticed the description um, Stoppard has um, in italics about just like setting the scene for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, des- as he describes, the room looks bare despite the large table, which occupies the center of it. The table The straight-backed chairs and the only other item of furniture, the architect's stand or reading stand, would all be collectible pieces, but now here, on an uncarpeted wood floor, they have no pretension than a schoolroom, which is indeed the main use of the room at this time. So I thought that this description is very interesting. Um, Obviously, it's a little bit um, more directory for the particular, Mm -hmm. like a director that would take on this play.
0: And is this um, description the first thing Stoppard writes in the entire play? It's yes, the it first is uh, it the first impression Yes, it is
1: like the second paragraph that he says, mm-hmm. and right after that he goes on to explaining the whole scene between Tom, um, Thomasina, and Septimus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think the fact that Stoppard chooses to start the play this way really get a clear vivid image in the reader's mind is very interesting establishing
0: that the table is important from the get-go
1: exactly Mm -hmm. um and in my opinion the the story i mean both the past and present storylines kind of center around this table Mm -hmm. um and in a way, you could almost say that the table serves as a bridge between the two yeah. worlds, between the two time periods.
0: Especially since once something is put on the table, it doesn't leave, even if the time periods change. Exactly, yeah.
1: just like the um, there is a notable turtle, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> who we might know who you might know as Plautus or Lightning, depending mm-hmm. on what time period you are in. But nevertheless, the tortoise stays on the table between the past and present. And in my opinion, it kind, the tortoise in a way kind of represents that that boundary between the past and present mm-hmm. is penetrable. Yeah. Like it's something like, I mean, obviously, they're touching the turtle and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, because it is seen as kind of like a pet. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, But the fact that, like, they're, like, both characters in both time periods are touching and interacting with this turtle just kind of shows you that the two time periods are closer than one might think.
0: And I think the turtle is, like, significant more so than some of the other objects on the table for the fact that it's alive. Like, it shows that even living things rather than just, like, a random pencil can transcend time periods.
1: Exactly. And it's especially significant in the um towards the end of the play, which spoiler alert <laughs> um Hannah, the um best selling author that we were talking about before mm-hmm. in the present, um, she discovers that the um Jerry Sidley Hermit had a turtle um, named Plautus and that's what leads her to discover who
0: Oh yeah, the
1: yes to I discover see what you're saying. who the hermit actually was. So he literally does connect the two worlds in that yeah.
0: sense. Like since Hannah is connected to lightning, the fact that Plautus is the thing that connects her to the hermit is like really cool.
1: Yeah. I see what you're saying there. And she's like, yo, it's Septimus. <laughs> so again,
0: spoiler alert. Septimus is the hermit. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, actually, the interesting thing, too, is Stafford never specifically says that Septimus is the hermit. It's just yeah. like little connections and stuff here and there. Yeah.
0: It's like the reader is put in the same shoes that Bernard and Hannah are trying to analyze the past. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, And so another interesting um, object, which I mean, one could argue is more or less important than the turtle, but it's also the apple. Definitely. um, Which remains on the table through both time periods. Um, So it's existing in the past, in the present. Um, And what I thought was really funny about the apple is that, yes, you have this like tangible object, but it's one that like, It's different than the tortoise in the sense that like in one scene, for example, um, Gus hands Hannah an apple, like gives it to her. But then in the next scene, when it transitions back in time, Septimus, the same apple is on the table and then he like grabs to take a bite out of it. So I thought that was especially interesting because yes, with the tortoise, like Plautus and lightning, like you have the interactions between, mm-hmm. like, the turtle and their owner, I guess you could say. Yeah. But with the apple, you literally have, like, someone biting an apple that the other person just, like, put down, which was really interesting.
0: I thought, like, perhaps the most interesting connection I saw with the apple was that, like, when Newton was coming up with Gravity, there's, like, the classic legend that he got hit on the head by an apple. And yeah. then when Tomasino's trying to, like, graph the universe or whatever she starts with an apple leaf very true that's like another connection with her and like the genius newton was you know what i mean very true Mm -hmm. i thought that was very cool another apple significance
1: exactly um so i mean i i imagine you will agree but i do really think that the table and the um, objects and symbols on the table itself are very significant in this story and are Mm -hmm. certainly um, a component that um, bring to light the theme of past and present. Um, And I think that like the table and like the objects and stuff are just even highlighted more by the characters that interact
0: with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely you have a good point there. It's not like Stopper just decided to put anything random on the table. He had a purpose for every single thing and every single interaction every character had with it. And I think the steady buildup of objects on the table as the play goes on kind of adds to the like the whole theme that objects and events from the past have a genuine effect on the future. Cause like every time someone put anything on the table, it had a direct like consequence in the future do you know what I mean very
1: true yeah Mm -hmm. like it's almost like Stoppard was trying to say like you know your actions like affect the future like even like little things that you think are insignificant like something as insignificant as an apple Mm -hmm. for example like it impacts the future definitely
0: Another part of Arcadia that I feel really demonstrates the difference between the past and the future are the relationships between characters. So, like, what do you think about the relationship between Septimus and Thomasina and like what they're trying to do?
1: Exactly. So, I t- I definitely agree with that. And I, from the from the get go, from the very beginning of the play, the relationship between Thomasina and Septimus is is very it's a very interesting dynamic. Yes. Let's just say. Um, because in some sense, you can tell that Thomasina somewhat idolizes Septimus because he is her tutor. um, And he is the person who is helping her um, not only gain mathematical skills, but she sees him as the person who is going to help her on her journey of creating the equation. But she also <laughs> is that, but she's also kind of like has this little silly non intellectual side. And in what she's asking at the very beginning of the play, Sep, she's asked Septimus, Septimus, what is Condole and Bryce? They totally <laughs> joke with each other. It's
0: really funny. Cause like they're both wicked, smart people, but then at the same time, they're just like, you know, nodding each other. You know what I mean?
1: Exactly. So I feel like it's that really weird relationship where it's like yes they're teacher and student but they're also like friends
0: i think that's only possible because thomasina is a genius and like even though he doesn't take her seriously some of the time at the beginning of the play septimus is able to recognize that she is insanely smart which allows him to like joke around with her a little bit you know
1: exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and the other interesting thing I think about their dynamic, besides their personalities as characters, obviously, yes. which are very entertaining, um, but is that with, like, they're both of them, they have a very interesting connection. And then it also relates to Bernard and Hannah in the present. And what I have found is really interesting is that Septimus and Thomasina, they're both trying to understand the future. Like, they're trying to mm-hmm. come up with this equation to understand the universe. And they're trying to, like, move on from the past, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, an example I found of this um, was that in one um, one scene of the play, um, Thomasina basically starts ranting about Cleopatra and she's like, ah, she's like such this, like she's all into love and emote, like emotions. Like she needs like a real head on her shoulders. Um, And then Septimus basically tells her not to dwell on the past. Um, For example, he says, we shed as we pick up like travelers who must carry everything in their arms. And what we let fall will be picked up by those behind. The procession is a very long, is very long, and life is very short. We die on the march, but there is nothing outside the march, so nothing can be lost to it. And so I thought this was this was a very interesting kind of excerpt because I mean, Septimus actually goes on to say um, that the past isn't necessarily super important because. Mm even amazing Mm -hmm. discoveries that
0: we have found in the past, those probably would have been made in the future. He's trying to say, like, don't think about the past. We're trying to discover the future, sister. Move on.
1: Exactly. And that's why it's especially interesting um, that Thomasina wants to mathematically predict the future in some sense. In fact, she says to Septimus, God's truth, Septimus, if there is an equation for a curve like a bell, there must be an equation for one like a bluebell, and if a bluebell, why not a rose? Do we believe nature is written in numbers? And I thought this was really interesting too because Thomasina would you consider her someone that's like cr- more creative or more like rational intellectual cuz I kind of see her as both almost
0: she is more creative than anything else because she has the quote earlier on where she's like, I want to, like, am I the first person to think this in the world? Right. You know, like that kind of thing. So, like, she wants to create something new rather than, like, understand something that's already be, been done. And I yeah. feel like the amount of creativity that requires, like, outshines her innate mathematic ability. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. And I think that can kind of be said for hannah in a sense too
0: oh yeah hannah and bernard are both very creative in their attempts <laughs> to understand the past like while septimus and thomasina have like mathematic formulas to go by they're pretty m- like bernard and hannah are pretty much flying by the seat of their pants yeah <laughs> they're just chasing letters as far as they can make them go like i know um the role of intuition. In Hannah and Bernard's discoveries is outstanding. I have a quote I found about it that I thought kind of summed it up. Like, they're relying solely on the letters. Bernard says, uh, they put it on paper. It was their employment, their diversion. Paper is what they have, and there will be more. There's always more. We can find it. So he's devoting himself to chasing letters from dead people, which is something far ...different than anything that Thomas, Sina, and Septimus are trying to do Mm -hmm. to understand the future. And then Hannah criticizes his, like, sole reliance on intuition and letters by saying, like, in regards to his research on Byron's duel... ...you haven't established it was fought, you haven't established it was Byron. For God's sake, Bernard, you haven't established Byron was even here. And then to that, Bernard criticizes her by saying she doesn't have any guts... So he's like, you got to take risks in understanding history. So their studies are no way a precise science at all like Septimus and Thomasina's are. Exactly. So I feel like uh, Stoppard's inclusion of their attempts to understand the past is his way of saying like history isn't an exact science. Like the second law of thermodynamics and Fermat's theorem, a lot of it's guesswork. Which, like, in Bernard's case, wound up going wrong. He was pretty much incorrect on every single thing he said. Yeah. Byron did not kill Ezra Tater, sadly. Would you
1: consider Bernard's theory, like, intuition, but in the wrong way? Or do you think it was just something he was just kind of like, oh, I think this happened. It Because, like, with Hannah, I mean, yes, like, there are literal quotes on her intuition. But, like, mm-hmm. the reader just gets, like, this sense that she just has this gut feeling. And I don't know if I get the gut feeling from Bernard. Do you?
0: Um, Bernard literally has a quote saying to Hannah, I'll tell you your problem, no guts. So like, I think, and Hannah says sometime else in the play, she's like, you're just flying by the seat of your pants. You never knew Byron was there. Like, you're floating on into it. Something like that. Yeah. And Hannah has the gut instinct as well. But I think it just serves her better because she's more cautious about
1: it. Yeah. Life. I Actually, yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I feel like, I mean, to me, like, the gut feeling is kind of like, follow your heart. Right? Yeah. As cheesy as that sounds. And I feel like Hannah uses, like, a good combination of her brain and her heart. Just kind of like Thomas C. Thomas, um thomasina actually Mm -hmm. and but i feel like bernard just solely uses his heart and not his like brain Uh
0: i feel like the biggest difference between hannah and bernard is that he wants to discover the thing about lord byron for the sake of fame whereas hannah wants to learn about the hermit just because she's curious and wants to know yeah you know what i mean like she's chasing that like route because she thinks it's fascinating yeah she has
1: like this intrinsic motivation yeah, but whereas
0: Bernard he's externally motivated he wants the money he wants the fame he wants to throw his discovery in the faces of other scholars exactly yeah, yeah. Hannah's just going with it because she thinks it's interesting yeah which in no way makes her discoveries less dramatic than Bernard's it's just like she's doing it because she wants to, not because of the fame.
1: Right, which is just like Thomasina, kind of, too. Like, she didn't really seem like she... It's not like she's trying to come up with an equation for the universe because she wants fame. It's because she's actually interested and wants to Mm -hmm. come up with
0: something like that. What would you say about Septimus's motivation? Because I feel like it doesn't talk about that as much as... Yeah,
1: no, I mean that's an interesting thought too because there's clearly a lot of parallels between Thomasina and Hannah and but like comparing like Septimus to
0: Bernard I feel like it doesn't work as well it doesn't really work and he's ve- Septimus is very methodical I feel well you know what actually maybe not because he does follow his heart in his lust for Lady crew
1: <laughs> that is true yeah.
0: I mean like maybe his affairs, could be compared I mean, to Bernard's analysis of Byron.
1: You could, it, it might be a stretch, but you could yeah. see Septimus's motivation, like for example, him tutoring Thomasina, as him just trying to get closer to her mom.
0: You're not wrong.
1: So that's like that extrinsic similar, versus intrinsic ooh, motivation. And that's similar
0: to um, how Bernard kind of like gate crashes Hannah's investigation. You know what I mean? Very true. Like, Bernard and Septimus are both outsiders trying to get in on Sidley Park.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Very, that's, that's real. yeah.
0: Another thing that I would consider, though, is his inspiration for becoming the hermit. Because that is, like, becoming a hermit, you're not famous. You're a hermit. You know what I mean? Right, so that's, like, the exact opposite. So, I think. Bernard. I think that kind of demonstrates that Tomasina's death probably played, like, a pretty big role
1: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could be like a kind of like Stoppard was trying to show between those four characters, especially like the continuity, but change over time.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) I know what you mean, because like the differences between those in the past and those versus the future, like I can see what you mean, I think because like I I'm not sure if this is what he's actually saying, but this is how it comes off to me. I think he might be uh, saying that, like, looking towards the past can sometimes be futile if you're doing it for the wrong reason, sort of. Like, Valentine is a wicked good quote about that. Let me find it. Um, Yes, here we go. He says, the questions you're asking don't matter, you see. It's like arguing who got there first with calculus. The English say Newton, the Germans say Leibniz. But it doesn't matter. Personalities. What matters is the calculus, scientific progress, knowledge. So he's saying that, like, analyzing Byron and looking back towards the past, like, are useless. You know what I mean? What matters is, like, Thomasina and Septimus's calculus.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, that's like, which Valentine is kind of more on the side of Thomasina and Septimus in terms of, um, trying to understand the future, whereas Hannah and Bernard are trying to understand the past.
0: However, the ironic thing about that is that Valentine has to rely on the game books from the past because yeah. his whole thing is like charting the grouse, which are in the game books from Sidley Park right. from the time that the <laughs> Septimus and Thomasina were there.
1: Yeah, so he's kind of a hypocrite because he's saying the past is useless, but he's literally yes. using
0: the past. I don't know. I that's just an, a Tom Stomper pulling another fast one on us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very He's got true. so many of those. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> There's so many things going on here.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we could just keep going on and on about the characters, but Definitely. Um <laughs> uh, moving kind of moving on to a little bit more of like symbolism and stuff, especially towards the end of the play. Um, the symbol of fire and burning yeah. in general is very prominent.
0: That's one thing I noticed. Like To start, I think the fact that Septimus just so casually burns his letters is very significant because those very letters are the things that Bernard and Hannah's research relies so heavily on. Mm-hmm. Like After seeing Bernard and Hannah pulling together loose ends, desperately trying to make them fit, you get the image of septimus just like offhandedly burning letters that would tie their narrative together so much better like i have it somewhere in here yeah it says these are stage directions um the tray the paper blazes in septimus's hand and he drops it and lets it burn out on the metal tray and then later on it says septimus picks up the two letters the ones he wrote and starts to burn them in the flame of the spirit lamp Mm. He does these actions so casually, and especially since Stoppard, like, specifies that they're the ones that he wrote. These letters would totally prove that Septimus was the one who would be engaged with, in the duel with Ezra Chater. You know what I mean? Like, these very things that could, like, completely make or break Burner's theory just gone to flame. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the other instance of significance that I found with the fire is... uh. Our girl, Thomasina, she goes out with a burst and a boom on her 17th birthday. She does, indeed. Burnt to death. Very tragic. Um, This, I felt, was significant not only because she herself burns, but also because the essay she wrote is, like, the fuel of her burning. You know what I mean? that is true yes like it's septimus states after lighting a candle and reading thomasina's essay um be careful with the flame of the s like the flame of the candle sitting near the essay Mm. which kind of makes it seem that knowing thomasina is going to burn to death after this that the flame near her essay is the cause of her death kind of shows like
1: yeah. Do you think maybe the flame represents something else though? Like if he's saying beware of the flame, knowing Tom Stoppard and his yes. little literary tricks, <laughs> I feel like maybe he was, he could have been referring to yes, the flame, but something else
0: too. I think it like, it might be like the act of randomness in history. Cause like the library of Alexandria burned to a crisp. There's so many texts in that library that would have like Septimus was saying beforehand, that would have changed our history. So many things we have today were probably invented thousands of years ago in the library of Alexandria. Right. You know what I mean? And like, it says later on in the play that Thomasina's, in iteration was invented like 20 years afterwards Mm -hmm. so I think this might be like a mini burning of the library of Alexandria
1: you know what I mean like between
0: Septimus's letters and Thomasina's essay on iteration I think it's like a small act of history changing you know what I mean it's kind of
1: like a direct effect of like the past on the future exactly it's like they're finally colliding Mm mm-hmm Which is like very, very like significant, especially with the ending of the play. You literally have the past and present colliding.
0: I know. They're like when it started, like bringing both the contemporary time and the 1800s in the same instance I kind of got like literary chills yeah like I could just like
1: as a theater expert oh yeah I could just picture like the long table on stage and then on like one side of the table you have the like 1800s and then on the other side you have the 1990s going on and I
0: think that one very significant part of that scene is that everyone is in regency dress like Mm -hmm. even the people from contemporary times are dressed as if it's the 1800s yeah which is like yet another tie together worlds colliding yeah yeah I feel like reading the scene is one thing but if we were able to see it on stage with like actual actors portraying it in a well-done set, it would have a whole, like, take yeah. the effect to a next level. Yeah, mm-hmm. And speaking of the ending, one thing I thought was significant was the role of Gus. Like, because in the present contemporary time, there's our boy Gus. The, right. Like, the guy who's mute. But then in the past, there's Augustus, which, like, there's right. the obvious name parallel thing. But I looked into it and those two roles are double cast.
1: So I think. Oh, as the same. Yeah, it's yeah. so like the same
0: actor. Wright plays both. So I think like that has to be some link between past and present. You know what I mean? Especially since it seems like both. Bo- like Augustus is a lord of the manor, I think. And right. And isn't Gus Valentine's brother in contemporary times?
1: I thought Augustus was um Thomasina's
0: brother. Thomasina's cousin, brother, something like yeah. that. Yeah. He's a relative of the crooms. Right. And, is. and then I'm pretty sure Gus in contemporary time lives in Sidley Park as well, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's just another kind of like the past and present are connected.
1: Ooh. Right.
0: <laughs> and then I think that effect is kinda like multiplied by the fact that it's Gus that gives Hannah the picture of Septimus holding Plautus. It's
1: almost like Augustus has kind of reached through the time portal yeah, and has like, handed it to her, to her.
0: <laughs> yeah he's like the delivery boy and um in the stage directions like shortly before Gus hands the uh, the picture to Hannah he's described as resplendent. Which I had no clue what that word meant. So I did a quick Google search. Do tell. Do tell
1: the listeners.
0: (laughs) And it means like kind of radiant. Like he's looking like very, like there's a lot of focus on him. He's looking like pristine. Ah. You know what I mean? Which when I imagine Gus, since he's mute, I always kind of like gloss over him. Sorry, Gus. You know what I mean? I never imagine him as something that would like take my attention. But in this moment, Stopper describes him specifically as resplendent, like, commanding attention, which, like, I think adds to the significance of, like, this moment.
1: That's a contrast, too, because he doesn't, before that moment, he doesn't talk
0: very much, like, at all. He doesn't talk at all. Like, even here, he doesn't talk.
1: Yeah, it's like he's invisible until that moment. Like,
0: that's his time to literally shine. It's his time to shine. Exactly. Exactly. And then when he later goes to ask Hannah to dance with him, it says he gives her a Regency bow.
1: You know what I mean?
0: Yet another tie to the past. Gus, like, I feel like that's Stoppard throwing it in our face that Gus is a symbol for like the past. Just, he's like a piece of the table. You know what I mean? You could put Gus on the table. Yeah. Gus and Plautus, (laughs) you know what I mean? They both belong up there. (laughs)
1: And I mean, uh, what? Let like let's talk about that waltzing. Oh my
0: god! Between
1: like Gus and Hannah, and then Septimus and Thomasina. Ooh,
0: they were getting steamy. I know. <laughs> it was really funny. Okay, first I have to ask the question that's been burning on my mind. <laughs> Do you think that Septimus is in love with Thomasina?
1: Ooh, you know I have. Thought long and hard about this one. As have I, <laughs> and my conclusion is that I don't know.
0: <laughs> I can respect
1: that because. So here's here, here. Let me let me share with you and the librarian <laughs> um, my thought process. So at first, part of me was like,
0: no. Like yes. absolutely not. Yeah, like, Septimus has had his flings. He's only in it for Lady crew Yeah, like
1: he's way too into like the other ladies, especially Lady Croon. Yes. He's not even that much of like a sentimental man. Mm-hmm. But then I began to think a little bit more like a little bit more and I mean, I do have to disagree with my initial thought that Septimus isn't a sentimental man because he literally did write like two letters in the event of his death yeah. one to Thomasina and one to Lady Croom. So, like, uh, obviously, he does care about Thomasina.
0: Mm-hmm. And like the fact that he becomes a full on hermit. Like if we're correct in our assumption that he's going to Sidley Park in order to further his social standing, right. Then becoming a hermit is not the natural next step in that process, right? You know what I mean? Like Thomasina's death in her mathematics had enough of an effect on him for him to just like full out dip from society, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that can't just happen if you're if you have a student teacher relationship with the student who died yeah and I, you know mean,
1: I mean in and like Tom as the play kind of continues Thomasina kind of starts flirting with him a oh, little yeah. bit she
0: definitely gets and <laughs> I mean
1: he doesn't totally re- like reciprocate the feelings but he doesn't like turn it down yeah like one
0: like quote I thought was telling like it's at the way end of the book mm-hmm. like or play he says he gives Tomasinos an Alpha and Blind Faith, her essay. And the fact that he's doing this in blind faith, you know what I mean? That's another instance of intuition, kind of like Hannah and Bernard. Yeah. And then, like, this is also a huge contrast from the beginning of the play when he wasn't even willing to describe what carnal embrace was to her. Right. You know what I mean? He wasn't really taking her seriously in a social sense in that moment. He was like, I'm your tutor. We talk about school but now he's giving her essay an A because he has faith in her.
1: I think, I'm not sure, again, I don't know if I would go as far to say that he's in love with her, but I think his affection towards her grows over time. Definitely. Like, I think at the beginning, he does see her as this child. And then, like, all the other adults, he's just kind of... I don't know if I
0: would say child. I would say just, like, You're a genius and that's all you are. Right.
1: Like, I mean, yes. Like, yeah, you're right. I mean, not like a totally like child, child, but he does. He does see himself as like the superior.
0: And now I think they're more on an equal
1: level. And now I think he sees them on an equal level. And I think as time went on too, he started to think less of people like Lady Croom in a way. I could be kind of wrong in that, but, like, my, I mean, not that he completely, like, stops, like, thinking good things about them. Yes.
0: But, like. (laughs) I don't know. I think what might have uh, spurred this change in him is the fact that Lady Croom moved on to a new man. Wasn't that a thing that happened? She found another boy. It was, like, some foreign guy. I'm forgetting what nationality. Oh, But something happens and she moves on from Septimus somehow. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. But I don't know if she
1: was even, was she even that into Septimus in the first place? No, I don't think she was. Because
0: she had a thing with Byron too. Yeah. So that's just another whole can of worms I'm not gonna open yeah so I
1: think he saw her true colors yes. through, <laughs> and then he was like you know if I can't have
0: her I'll get her daughter <laughs> I don't know if it was that impersonal Michelina. I think you're being a little bit trigger happy there yeah no that wasn't like, the case but. I feel like I mean obviously the fact that out of everything they're waltzing is significant and then uh Stoppard specifically writes, Or describes Thomasina and Septimus as dancing fluently, you know what I mean? Rather than, like, Hannah and Gus dancing kind of, like, stilted and awkward, they're, Mm. like, on the same page while they're waltzing, you know what I mean? I feel like that has to be symbolic for them having reached an understanding. Right. Whether it be romantic or like Septimus acknowledging that Thomasina is on the same level as him socially.
1: Yeah, they're like dancing through life now.
0: Yes. And like, when, uh, right after Septimus gives Thomasina the A in blind faith, she says to him, I will wait for you to come. <laughs> which is like kind of weird, but okay. And then Septimus turns her down. He's like, I cannot. And Thomasina says, You may. I may not. (laughs) You must. I will not. So Septimus changes from like, I can't, to I may, to I will. You know what I mean? Very true. So that's a definite change in his level of like, conviction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he eventually just completely goes against that and waltzes with her anyway. Right. So like- that kind of really gives me the feeling that he feels what he's doing is not proper. Mm. And as her tutor, if he's doing something that's not proper, it's probably something romantic.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he does flat out kiss her. <laughs> I
0: know! Which, like, I mean, in literature, I feel like when people kiss, it's almost never romantic, it's symbolic. You know what I mean? But I feel yeah. like in this instance, it's towing the line. I I agree with that. Yeah, it's like, I had to think long and hard about that one because I was like, Septimus is a player. He's a ladies man. He can't feel anything for Thomasina. But then my mind started creaking, the wheels were turning. (laughs) Another thing I want to focus on towards the end scene, I want to turn us back to the fact that they're waltzing. Yes. Like, I feel like that the fact that rather than working on a theorem or focusing on math, Stoppard chose to focus on dancing, which is like a form of art, humanities. Right. Like that has to be significant in his overall message.
1: I think his overall message, also considering who we have writing this, we don't have a mathematician writing this play. Like, granted, Stoppard is a very, like, intelligent man, obviously. Yeah, but but like obviously he's a playwright he is a writer he's an artiste if you will yeah and I think kind of what he is doing by ending the play with the waltz is just
0: kind of showing that like art prevails I don't like I feel like that's what I want to believe you know what I mean that's yeah. what I really 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 want to believe but I can't just ignore the fact that throughout the entire play he was basically like taking a dump on Bernard's intuition in history and like praising Thomasina and Septimus's mathematic feats. Yeah,
1: but I mean he also did kind of praise Hannah's intuition he and did, stuff like she that and right the, the importance of history. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, in my opinion, kind of the whole play he's kind of like he goes back and forth which Definitely. is kind of showing that they're equal. Uh-huh. In some sense and then at the end it's not like he's saying like science sucks like he's not
0: saying that but but he's ending on a waltz right he's showing the two most mathematically genius people in the play waltzing together exactly like
1: so yeah that's like that's definitely significant in like the art versus science debacle
0: i know (laughs) and then do you think there's any significance in the fact that he describes hannah and gus dancing as awkwardly Like, I had to think a lot about that one. Like, what's with the dichotomy between that? Like, I can't figure out. Yeah, that's interesting, too. It's tricky, because, like, what could that mean? Like, I feel like it has to be another past versus present kind of thing, but I'm not sure in what way it's significant. Right. That's a tricky one.
1: Yeah, I mean, character-wise, Hannah is less math they're both less mathematical Mm -hmm. than septimus and thomasina yes yet thomasina the more mathematical ones can dance more fluidly yeah so
0: it's like a total like irony i know hannah has stated multiple times throughout the play that she doesn't dance you know what i mean oh that's true it could be something as simple as like Septimus having been educated at Eton obviously knows how to waltz whereas Hannah obviously doesn't know how to dance as she's stated it multiple
1: times Right and I mean nowadays like in the 1990s and even today waltzing isn't common Waltzing isn't common it's not like you know it's not the it's not the art form yes. that it used to be so it could still be that continuity and change kind of I think
0: Her saying yes in the first place is like a total romantic act. Like romanticism, romanticism, not love. Because I think the fact that it's Gus asking her, first of all, if we're right in that he represents the past, it's her kind of like bowing down to the past once more. True. You know what I mean? Kind of vibing with that. And the fact that it's awkward might symbolize the fact that she's from the 90s rather than the 1800s. Right. Like when you're analyzing the past, there's always gonna be some kind of rift. Right. Like how Bernard was wrong about Byron, Hannah can't dance the waltz, which represents the past. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, no, that definitely makes yeah. sense to me. And like it I don't know, I feel like it kinda comes full circle. Yeah. To at the end there, like even though the ending is unsatisfying in a way,
0: <laughs> but that's how Stoppard wanted it all along. He's putting us in Hannah and Bernard's shoes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We should probably finish off this episode. Is there any closing comments you would like to say about Tom Stoppard's Arcadia?
1: Well, I would just like to say that Tom Stoppard is certainly a literary and theatrical genius. Yes. Um, I think we can both agree on that. Um, And this discussion today has been very thought-provoking for me. Of course. Um, I feel so honored to be sharing information with the librarians
0: (laughs) and with you, Libis, aka Sybil. Of course, Mikalina. Always a pleasure to have you on. I realized things I'd never thought about regarding Arcadia conversing with you, and I thank you greatly for your time. All right, librarians, I'll see you next time I read a nice novel.